Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. So we're today uh, in Luke 24, and if you brought your Bible along, you can open up to Luke 24. If you have the Bible app, you can open it up to Luke 24. If you want to follow along in the crosswalk notes, we make it easy, and we'll put the verses on the screen for you too. Sometimes I mention an additional verse or two. Luke 24, and we'll be beginning at verse 13. Have you ever realized that different things create heartburn for different people? So, so for example, I, I have people in my life that could care less about physical possessions whatsoever. Now, I know people that if you told them, um, tonight you're not going to get to eat a meal and you're not going to have a roof over your head, sorry. I know people that that would absolutely cause huge heartburn for them, cause them to want to press the panic button and go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But these particular friends of mine that I mentioned, they would shrug their shoulders at that, and I mean this, and go, well, guess I'm going to bed hungry tonight and sleeping on the street. It's okay. It'll be all right. Uh, Some of you uh, get heartburn centered around family relationships and and, uh, and how things are going in your family. And when things aren't going smoothly with your spouse, uh, with your children, with your mom and dad, with grandma and grandpa, all of a sudden that stomach acid is just boiling and you're reaching for the tums. But for others of you, you're like, well, yeah, family's family. It's, it, it's cool. Um, they're hurting a little bit, but I'm going to go to work. And it doesn't bother you. You compartmentalize all of that, and you are, you're not worried about it. Some of you, it's your reputation. You get concerned. What are people thinking about me? What, what are people saying? And just the thought of, of what your reputation is sends you scurrying to Facebook so you can do a little reputation management through social media. And others of you go, I don't, I don't care one little bit what other people think about. Who cares? They don't know me. They don't know who I really am. So let them think whatever they want to think. We're all different. But here's what I do believe. Whatever it is that causes you to have heartburn... One of the reasons that you come to Crosswalk, one of the reasons you come to church, one of the reasons that you love being connected to Christ, that you love having God in your life, that you love knowing that you are beloved of God, is that it relieves the heartburn of whatever things in life create that heartburn for you. Isn't that beautiful about God? That God's love and God's power has the ability 
to, to have an impact on all of us, no, no matter how different we are, how, how many different things create heartburn for us, we know that God has that amazing ability to bring peace into our lives. There's a, there's a beautiful passage uh, written by the Apostle John, uh, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he writes this. He says, perfect love drives out fear. And I, I love that verse. You know what that means? Perfect love drives out fear. Now think, that was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here's the first thing I think it means. I think it means that when you know that you are perfectly beloved of a perfectly loving God, you begin as you lean on this truth, I'm loved. I'm loved by God himself. I'm loved by God himself to the point of him sacrificing his one and only son for me, dying a painful death as we talked about last week, so that he could sacrifice himself to win me back into relationship with him, though sin had separated us. Perfectly loved by a perfectly loving God. When we know this and when we live in this truth, oh my goodness, that drives out fear. And it gives us peace. There's a second side to it. When Jesus Christ fills you and fills you and fills you with his perfect love, what do you think happens eventually? What happens if you just keep filling a glass with water and you fill it and you fill it and you fill it? What happens eventually to that glass? Some of it spills over, right? It overflows. Now, when you receive God's perfect love, through Christ, when you know the degree to which the gospel means, I mean you, all of a sudden you, you begin to love others. That overflow spills into the lives of your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. And because you are filled with the perfect love of God, though still a sinner, still struggling with that old Adam, you begin to love others imperfectly, but the more you walk with Jesus, that love becomes more and more developed. Never perfect in this life, never perfect, but always striving for perfection. And do you know what that does to you? What does fear cause you to focus on? I don't know about you, but when I'm afraid, I tend to focus on me. How am I going to protect myself? How am I going to ease my fears? Well, <laughs> you know what's beautiful about love? Love takes the focus off of me, doesn't it? When I say I am perfectly beloved, where's my focus? On the perfect God who loves me perfectly making me his beloved. When I say to myself, let's overflow with this perfect love of God, where's my focus? On my wife, Julie? On my children? On my congregation members? The volunteers that I work with? And I, I have this desire, though I'm imperfect and I'm sinful, I have this desire to love them. And when my focus goes out to them, guess what happens to fear? It goes away because my focus on self goes away. 
Now, here's why I bring this up. Today, we're going to have a corollary to that. Perfect love drives out fear. And the corollary is, the more perfect our hearts are on fire for God, the more perfectly our hearts feel aflame because of God's love for us and God's purpose at work in our lives, the more our hearts are burning within us, the less time that we have available for heartburn in our lives. And we're going to see that because we're going to see these two men begin a seven-mile journey, and their hearts, they're suffering from heartburn because they're, first of all, facing some very bitter disappointment. By the end of this seven miles, they're going to go from heartburn to hearts burning within them. Hearts on fire for Jesus. Hearts passionate with purpose. Now, aren't you interested to hear how that takes place? Because wouldn't you like to have less time and less room and less space in your life for heartburn? And more time in your life and in your heart to be really, really stoked about something? That is what's going to happen here. And that's what I'm praying today will happen here too. So let's, let's dive in. And uh, I want to set the scene for you. This is the story of two men who are on the afternoon of Jesus' resurrection. This is the original Easter Sunday, so kind of put yourself there in time. Uh, it, it is afternoon. We know this because at the end of the story, we, we hear that these two men are about ready to, um, to stop for supper. And, uh, and so they're walking. It's a seven-mile journey and I want to share with you, sometimes people like to know, what's pastor's favorite? I'm going to share with you today my favorite painting of all time. I like no paintings, no artist's work better than this artist's work. Part of it is an emotional connection. The people that brought me to Christ had this painting hanging in their living room. And I remember looking at this painting and thinking, man, what a scene. Uh, that was painted in the 19th century by a painter named Robert Zunt, German name, right? So you, get, you can't say Zint, you have to go, ooh, umlaut, Zunt. And if we have any German people in here, please forgive me. He painted this painting of the two disciples on the road to this village called Emmaus. So you can actually leave that up there for a little while as, as we read so that that picture can kind of remain in your mind as we, uh, as we talk through this. So let's, let's do some reading. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, meaning the same day as the resurrection... Two of them, two disciples, we think this was probably the wider circle of disciples, the 70 or the 120, probably not one of the 12, but we don't know for sure. We know one of them is not one of the 12, but the other might have been. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were capped from recognizing him. Now, that's really important. Jesus has gone stealth mode here, and he is not going to allow them 
to recognize who he is. And it's interesting because in many of Jesus' post-resurrection appearance, there seems to be these moments, in this case probably hours, of not at first seeing who it was, and then all of a sudden, boom, it springs full-blown into their head. We talked about one of those incidents last week with Mary Magdalene. She turned around, right, and who did she think Jesus was at first? The gardener. And we said in that case, it, it could have been a supernatural hindering, which is what this seems to be. We also said it could have been a condition called confirmation bias, where Mary had gone th through so much that told her <laughs> he's dead and he's gone, that in her confirmation bias at first, the, the way our psychology works is our brain doesn't like to accept information that goes against what we strongly believe to be true. Now, I don't think this is confirmation bias. I think this is supernatural. And by the way, in a spiritual sense, you suffer from this too. You do not naturally recognize Christ as the Son of God, as your Savior. That is not natural for you in any way, and the reason for it is that sin has blinded you. Sin has blinded me. And so it is completely an unnatural thing to recognize, a miraculous thing to recognize Jesus as one's Lord and Savior, as the Son of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit when our eyes are opened spiritually and, and we are able to say, Jesus is my Savior and He is the Son of God. So understand this because this is going to come in importantly that none of us gets Jesus or recognizes Jesus for who He truly is by nature. We're blinded by sin. We, we go on, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up in stealth mode, as I said, and walking along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I love Jesus here. This is funny. Don't you love Jesus here? Hmm, wonder what you guys are discussing. You think he didn't know? He's playing along with this. They stood still. Their faces downcast. Circle that word. That's important. Remember, their eyes were veiled. They, they couldn't recognize Jesus. And this is an important clue here beyond just the general term that, that their hearts were sinful. Even as disciples, they still had their old Adam. Their hearts were sinful. But also, something else has happened here. Let me give you some alternate definitions for this word. Their faces were sad. Their faces were gloomy. Their faces were dismal. Their faces were frustrated and angry. That word in the original language can have all those shades of meaning. So you can picture that. Look. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, are you the only one? Can you hear the frustration in this guy's voice? What are you guys talking about? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who, who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? This is Cleopas saying, really? Come on, dude. Didn't you just, like us, come from Jerusalem and you're telling me you haven't heard the news? <laughs> have you not pulled your cell phone out of your pocket? Have you not looked on the internet? Haven't you read a newspaper? 
How can you not know? Everybody knows about this. So their eyes were partially closed and blinded, veiled to who this really was walking with them. Number one, because they're sinful. But I think it goes deeper. I think there's other reasons why their eyes were veiled. Number one, I think this sad gloom, this disappointment, these hopes that got dashed also prevented them from seeing Christ. Because that sad gloom was evidence that they had forgotten all that Jesus had taught them. I want to ask you, have you ever had things happen where your, da- your hopes were dashed in life? Where you were severely disappointed with how things were turning out? And struggled with your faith in God? Struggled to believe that Jesus was who he was? Can I, can I tell you my own personal big, big incidents of this? In sixth grade, my mom and dad divorced. My dad moved out, and, uh, and he moved to California. I saw him all of about three or four times from the end of sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. And then at the end of 10th grade, due to his alcoholism, he died. Now, before my dad left my mom, you know what my dad was like? My dad was the kind of dad that would take me out in the backyard and throw the baseball around with me whenever I wanted. My dad was the kind of dad that would take me fishing. I still go to the place where we fished as a kid up on Tonto Creek. My dad was the kind of dad that I could sit down and, and talk to. My dad was also a disciplinarian, and, and he gave me some pretty stern lectures about how to get my act right. And when my dad left, didn't just leave the marriage. Nowadays, a lot of divorced couples, they'll figure it out, right? Well, let's not live further than a mile so the kids can go back and forth. I just heard a story about this the other day. Dude, my, my dad moved to California. I saw him four times. And I missed him. And I was disappointed. I remember on one of those occasions when my dad came to visit, I screamed at him. How can you not love us? How can you leave us? Do you really love your booze and your beer more than me? More than my little sister? More than mom? Do you know what that did to me? I had been occasionally... (laughs) visiting a church here or there. My parents didn't bring me up in it. I'm telling you, until that beautiful family with the painting came back into my life, I didn't go to church. Friends tried to drag me. Like, God, give me a break. Because a loving God doesn't allow disappointment and dashed hopes like this. Now, Maybe you've gone through something similar, and that's why I share this story, not to make you feel sad for me, but to help you realize that disappointments and dashed hopes can play funny tricks with your mind, with your faith. 
And that's what's happening here. Jesus comes up along these two men and they are discouraged. Now they're doing some things well. They're trying to process this, deal with this. So what do they do? They get together in their disappointment, their dashed hopes, and, go, and they say to each other, man, I need a friend right now. Let's talk. They go get some exercise. They go for a walk. And they're walking. They're talking. Very good things. But they're not yet recognizing Jesus for who he is. Let's uh, write something down. Disappointment and dashed hopes can cause us to miss out on the reality of God's powerful, powerful acts of love. They had just seen the most powerful act of love that Jesus could ever do for them, sacrifice his life so that they could receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but they couldn't see it. They thought Jesus had died and had gone away. So what happens next is Jesus continues going stealth mode. I love this. Again, there's an element of humor to it in a way because Jesus goes, what things are you talking about? Something happened? How'd I miss it? Let's read it. What things, he asked. You could almost put in parentheses there, innocently, innocently sounding. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, here's what I find interesting, is that Jesus is walking along with them in stealth mode and he does something that we teach all the time in our coaching sessions, and that is he sets it up so he can listen. He's going to listen first. And as he listens, as he draws them out, they begin to recite the events of the last days to him, and he gets to hear their spin, their interpretation, what's going on in their mind. By the way, for any of you who have friends or, or people that you counsel from time to time, great approach practically on that. Ask a good open-ended question and let them spin their tail. Jesus is after something far deeper than just being a friend or a psychologist. He is after them fully understanding who he is. But listen to what they say about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a, he was a, he was a prophet. Do you know how many faiths in the world today call Jesus a prophet? Muslims call Jesus a prophet. Hindus, some Hindus call Jesus a prophet. 
There are many, many religions in our world today who call Jesus a beautiful teacher, a spokesman for God. But is that the same as saying he is the son of God, my savior? Not at all. To say that Jesus was a good man, to say that Jesus spoke wise sayings, that's to put a completely different spin on what Christianity is. That turns Christianity into Buddhism, because that's what the Buddha did. Buddha was a good man who had a lot of wise sayings. You could call him a prophet. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to be your substitute and my substitute, to take our place on the cross because the wages of sin is death. And someone had to die for the sins that we've committed. And it couldn't just be anyone because you can't die for me and I can't die for you. I don't have blood that's valuable enough to redeem you. Only the Son of God has blood that, that's, that is that valuable. And, and that's exactly what these guys said. We had hope that he was the one who was going to, do you see the word there? Redeem Israel. Do you know what redeem means? It means to pay the ransom price. Jesus was going to pay the price for you, for me, for them. Pay the price to do what? Deliver us from slavery. Deliver us from slavery to sin, slavery to death, both physical and eternal, and slavery to Satan. Jesus, they said, that's who we thought he was, but now we can see, it's sort of suggested here that that's not who he was, because he died. And, <laughs> and another thing they say is, it's been three days. Jesus was always telling us that after three days, he'd, he'd be back. But here we are, three days, no Jesus. Guess he couldn't keep his promises. Guess he couldn't back it up. Guess he couldn't do what he said that he was going to do. Ever felt that way? Ever felt that God has made promises to you that he couldn't back up? Ever felt that God loves everybody else, but me, he must be leaving me out on a desert island somewhere? Ever feel very lonely and disappointed and discouraged? And it all spins around events in your life? Dan and Chip Heath have written a beautiful book, uh, and, and uh, I, I love the concept of it. Because he says, as, as people, we don't live our lives in a, continu in a continuum where, where every event in our life, every second, every minute of our life has equal value. Think about it. When you look back on your life, are there not some days, some hours, some moments even that stand out to you as pivotal, as, as like this is life-defining? This changed things for me forever about who I am and what I think about life and, and created a different worldview? Chip and Dan Heath have noticed this phenomenon. And as these two men recite these events, they make us aware of something that's very important. I want you to write this down. Events in life 
can cause us sometimes to become confused. Confused in our grasp, as these two men were, of Jesus, who Jesus is. Is he a prophet or is he a messiah? And his work, did he come to tell us about God, give us some wisdom to live by, or did he come to pay the price? Now, I'm going to challenge you to think about those kinds of pivotal events in your own life that might have left your head spinning, left you confused. Maybe, maybe it was a severe illness. Maybe it was a dispute with someone that you didn't expect yourself to be in a position to be disputing with, and you felt a little bit betrayed by that individual. Maybe it was something or someone you really felt, I can rely on this, as I felt with my dad. I thought, my dad? My dad's my dad. He ain't going nowhere. So I thought, as a child... Whenever I want to play baseball, he'll be there. Whenever I want to say, Dad, let's go camping and fishing, he'll take me. Because that's what he's always done. When those events happen in your life, and you've all had them, we've all had them. Those are defining, pivotal moments in our life. And trust me when I say, not just sin not even just disappointment and dashed hopes, but also pivotal events can create a veil over our eyes so that we cannot see and recognize Jesus for who he is. You know where we see it all the time as pastors? We see it in the prayer requests. We see it in our counseling, in our coaching. And, and there are many times where Pastor Dan or I or one of the other staff have to say, you may not see Jesus, you may not recognize Jesus, but he promises you he's walking with you. You may feel gloomy and disappointed. You may be saying to yourself, no loving Savior would ever allow this event to take place, and yet, unbeknownst to you, there he is right beside you carrying you, loving you, watching over your life, guiding it to where it needs to go. Turn the page. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let's go back to 101 class. Let's go back to spring training. When it says, begin with Moses and the prophets, by the way, here's another beautiful thing I want to encourage you, just a little sidebar here. If you think you've outgrown 101 and 201 and 301 class, let me encourage you to think differently. Sometimes we have people come in here who are veteran Christians. And they think to themselves, why do I have to take those classes? Like, that's, that's the basics. And, I, and my standard response is, why do professional baseball players have to go to spring training to learn again how to throw and how to catch and how to swing a bat? 
because the basics never get old. The basics are never unimportant. The fundamentals of the game of Christianity, you have to keep going back to them again and again. Can I tell you my own personal experience? I teach 101 class every time it happens with Pastor Dan, we share it. I teach 201 most of the time, the 12 basic doctrines of the Bible, and I'm going to tell you, I learn something every last time, every time about how much God loves me, about how much God has forgiven me, about the value of the cross and the empty tomb. What does Jesus do when when these two men can't recognize who he is? He says, all right, we're going back to 101 class. Well, 101 class of his day where there was only an Old Testament. And he starts with Genesis. I want you to think about that for a minute. Let's talk about how we got into this mess, the fall into sin, Adam and Eve. Do you remember what God said at the end of that? What did God say? Well, he, he promised that he would send someone to crush Satan's head, and in the process, his own heel would be bruised as well. Okay, good, good. Um, let's go to Exodus. Remember what happened there where God appointed a leader, Moses, and, and that leader brought them out, and, um, and then there was this whole set of worship involving sacrifices and substitutes, and then Moses led them despite their sin and their rebellion, mercifully, patiently, sometimes a little impatiently because he was sinful. In fact, God led them through the wilderness and gave them, what, at the end of that long 40-year journey? The promised land. Something they didn't do or earn, something that God gave them, he created every one of those victories for them and led them on the journey. You know what that's a picture of? Getting to go to the promised land where God gives you all the victories, where you have a leader A leader who, by the way, I think you remember that he said, a prophet like me will arise from among the people. Who do you think that prophet, like Moses was, who would arise from among the people to lead them into the promised land? Who was that? Jesus led them through all that. They're getting pretty excited as they hear this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further, but as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went on to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What happened with these people after they went through 101 and 201 class again? They got into a group and they had a meal before their group. And what happened as they're listening to God's word as Jesus teaches? Bam, that teaching, the teaching of the word opens their eyes and they recognize Jesus. Brothers and sisters, here's the key point. You can't see Jesus just like these people. Two guys couldn't see Jesus. But you will see Jesus if you listen to his voice. If you study his words. 
If you go back to Moses and the prophets, if you listen to how Jesus taught, something amazing is going to change in your heart and your mind. And notice, they had both a heart and a mind problem, which Jesus pointed out to them. Go back to the top. How foolish you are. That word literally means you're slow in your mind and how slow to believe that there's a word kind of missing from there, how slow of heart to believe. And Jesus is saying no matter where your mind is, where your heart is, no matter how much it's veiled, if you will listen to me teach you the entire will of God from the word, your eyes will open and you will recognize Jesus. There was a, a robber. True story who became convinced that because if you write with lemon water, the ink disappears, that if he would cover his face with lemon water, the bank cameras would not recognize him. What that tells you about human psychology is kind of interesting. It tells you that we tend to overestimate our own intelligence. In fact, scientists have studied this. And the popular name for it is the Lake Wobegon effect. The Lake Wobegon effect comes from Garrison Keillor and his very popular radio show. And in that radio show, I think if you ever listen to it, you'll remember this line, all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are, anyone? Above average. That's the Lake Wobegon effect. We all think we're above average. We all think in some way we're good looking. We all think we're strong. I want you to write this down. The Lake Wobegon effect can place a veil over our minds and hinder us from recognizing Jesus as our Messiah. That's what these two disciples were suffering from. Now, once... They recognized Jesus. I want you to see what happens. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now they have gone from heart burn to hearts burning. They are on fire for what they're seeing. Jesus is alive, alive and well. And what does this mean as far as the possibilities in our lives? He's still going to be with us. He's still going to love us, protect us, teach us. I am on fire to tell other people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These two had to be thinking. I am on fire for what he has just taught us to tell others. And the possibilities are endless. Paul talks about it. The same thing happened to him. He went from heartburn to heart burning. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And don't ever forget Jesus' promise. Paul's talking about it. 
If the other thing is the Lake Wolbegon effect, we might call this the gospel effect. And the gospel effect is we have hope, we have love, we have possibilities. Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to walk out of here today believing that you no longer have to live in some sort of scarcity mentality where you don't have enough, where you're not loved, where there is no peace in your heart, and that there are no possibilities for you. Because with God, all things are possible. And when Jesus is alive and he is resurrected, truly all things are possible, including the forgiveness of your sins, the ability to have your eyes open to Jesus, who he really is, your Lord and Savior, the Son of God, and to see him as the way, the truth, and the life that will lead you to the promised land, eternal life in heaven. Write this down. The resurrection is real, and the gospel is true. Let the possibilities set our hearts on fire. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, what, what an amazing God you are. You are truly mind-blowingly kind and loving and patient with us. Lord, so many days that we find our own eyes, our own hearts and minds veiled to your presence with us and your love for us. Lord, we ask you through the teaching of your word, through the gospel, that, that gospel effect to open our eyes, to help us recognize clearly who you are and to, to get pumped, get excited, get our hearts on fire about all the love that you have for us, all the love you have for the world, our purpose in life to be messengers of the gospel. Lord, I ask that you would set every individual heart on fire in this room. I ask that you would set this church and all of the collective hearts on fire so that we can lead other people to have open eyes and recognize Jesus as the Son of God, their Savior. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Disappointments and, and dashed hopes. Pivotal events that spin out of control struggle with pride and with the Lake Wobegon effect, we're all a little prone to thinking that we're better than we are. You know what that's called? Put all those things together? I call it life. And you're living that life, and I'm living that life. And as we live that life, we can't live it without Jesus. We can't live it without knowing that his love for us is constant and steady, and that he is here walking with us, even on those days when we don't recognize him. I want you to leave today with that confidence that Jesus walks out of this room with you into your life, and know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. You are beloved. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.